Welcome to Core 242 Podcast, brought to you by Core Community Covenant Church. Now let's dive into the Word of God with Pastor Max and Pastor Trish. All right, so we're on, uh, continuing our series on the greatest command, the great command that, that we find in Mark uh, that Jesus speaks on, and then we find it in Deuteronomy, uh, which is, is known as the Shema. So we'll, we'll, I'll read through it, and then I'll just focus on the verse that we are, are going to do today. So Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. So last week we focused on loving the Lord our God with all our heart, and we really talked about what that truly means and today we're going to focus on this word soul and um we're really excited about talking because as as we looked into into this into this word the word nefesh i put it i put it in for you guys when, when i did the announcement the word nefesh uh, this hebrew word it has so many great meanings that gives us even more uh, understanding of how to love your god with all your soul or how you love your god with all your Nefesh. And uh, Trish is going to take care of that one. So before we get into how we love the Lord with all of our soul, um, we first need to have an understanding, a biblical understanding of what is the soul. So unfortunately, this word here that's translated as soul, every time you see the word soul in, in scripture, in the Old Testament, the word there is nefesh. However, it doesn't only mean nefesh. So every time you see the word nefesh in the original text, sometimes it's translated as life, sometimes it's translated as creature or living being. So um, the first thing that we want you to understand, again, before we get into how we love the Lord God with all of our nefesh, we're going to use that word a lot today because honestly, there's no English word that captures nefesh. It does not translate in any way whatsoever. So we need to understand what nefesh is. But we, you know, we talked last week about how God desires our heart. So the first thing that God desires is all of our heart. Then the next thing he says is he wants us to love him with all of our nefesh. And so what, what it is, is it's more of who you are. It's not, God does not just want your heart. He wants all of your being. So the word um, soul is something that has been greatly influenced by Greek philosophy. Um, the philosophers have talked about the there's the physical body, then there's the soul. And so the body is like this container. The body is evil and the soul needs to escape the body. And it's the, the soul is what lives on. And so we have this idea that you pass away and your soul goes up to heaven. And, um, you know, it's, it, that's, and then we're with God and, and that's the end of the story. But that's not the biblical concept um, that we see here. When, when we talk about uh, nefesh, when we talk about the soul, a soul is not something that you have. A soul is something that you are. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't want to use the word soul because it's misleading. So a nefesh is not something that you have. A nefesh is who you are. So we see in Genesis 1, um, it's, nefesh, I believe, is used about 12 times in this chapter alone. And it starts off with God saying, it, humans aren't the first thing that are called a nefesh. It actually says, let the water team with living creatures. The word there is actually living nefesh. So let the water team with living nefesh and let the birds fly above the earth. And then it goes on to say, let the land produce 
living nefesh according to their kinds. So each day God is creating actually more and more nefesh and more and more complex nefesh. And then when he creates humanity, when he creates man and woman, he creates them as a nefesh. And when you see in chapter two, I believe it's verse seven, it says the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And what we see there is God is actually the word for breath is ruach, which means spirit. So you actually see God breathing his spirit into man. And it says, because God did that, the man became a living nefesh. He became a living being. So instead of thinking of the word that God wants you to love him with all of your soul, the best thing that we can actually put in this place is he wants you to love him with all of your being, mm. with all of your being. And the interesting thing is when you actually look at the root of, of the word nefesh, it literally means your throat. So it's not some abstract ghostly thing that is part of you that needs to escape your body. It is actually interwoven very deeply with your physical body. And the reason why the, the root is connected to throat is because through your throat comes all of your life, all of your food, all of your drink, all of your air, everything transfers through your throat. And the words that come out are also have the power of life and death. So the throat is very integral, and if someone, um, there's actually prohibitions in scripture to eat strangled meat, and that's because the act of strangling was this, this um, violence against your nefesh. Hmm. So it, at the very core of what God created, he created our nefesh. So uh, the, the other interesting part, uh, we want to look at Leviticus, uh, and again, we're going to sit here for a minute, because before we can love God with all of our nefesh, we have to have a better understanding of what on earth is nefesh. So Leviticus 17, 14. Leviticus 17, 14. Uh, we'll, actually, we'll look at, at 13 first. It says, Any Israelite or anyone living among you who hunts an animal or bird that may be eaten must drain out the blood and cover it with earth. And, and this is why. It says, Because the life of every nefesh is in its blood. That is why I have said you must not eat the blood of any creature because the life of every creature is in its blood and anyone who eats it must be cut off. Hmm. So what we see happening here is if you want to picture where the nefesh actually resides, again, it's not this ghost in a container. There's this idea that your nefesh actually resides in your blood, which again is interesting scientifically because we know that when you breathe in, the oxygen is transmitted through your blood, your food and nutrients are transmitted through your blood, and so your blood is that your lifeblood is what actually sustains you and keeps you alive. And when your heart stops pumping and the blood is no longer circulated, that's when your life is cut off. Um, the other interesting thing is that when, when there was a dead a, a corpse, it's actually described as a dead nefesh. So again, we cannot separate soul from body. There was a very strong connection between the physical and the spiritual. So when we talk about loving God with all of our soul, we're not just loving him like in with our, what did you say, the shondo. <laughs> we're, we're loving him with all of our being. And uh, so in Psalm 49, 15, I'm going to flip there. Psalm 49, 15. Because I mentioned uh, how when you pass away, the corpse is called a dead nephesh. But 49.15 says this, But God will redeem my nephesh from the grave, 
he will surely take him to himself. So what we have here is the prophetic of that God will redeem your nephesh. This does not only mean your soul, this means all of your being. And this is why, everyone, the resurrection is so important. Because when we see what Christ did on the cross, it's not that he just comes back as a disembodied soul and appears in an, you know, as an apparition to the, to the disciples. His physical body is resurrected. He eats with them. He drinks with them. They can put their hands in his side and in his hand, you know, in his hands. There's the, the idea that when God redeems us, he redeems all of our nephesh. He redeems all of our being, all of who we are. And so when we, when we pass away, while there is a part of us, our, our soul, a portion of us that goes on, our spirit goes up to be with the Lord immediately. This is something we see in scripture. We're not going to park on that too much today. But what we have to understand is that our redemption, our resurrection does not just stay there. It's not complete until Christ comes again and we all get a new body and we all face a new resurrection. That's when our, resur- our redemption is complete. And there's actually a picture in Revelation, I can't remember which chapter right now, but it talks about the souls of the martyrs being under the altar and asking God how long until he redeems them, how long until he vindicates them. And so there's this picture that even though it's, it's better to be with the Lord and we'll be with the Lord immediately, there's something, there's that now redemption, and then there's this not yet, mm-hmm. that it's not final, it's not complete. He hasn't redeemed everything until he's redeemed our bodies and until there's a new heaven and a new earth. Um, the other thing that I just want to finish here, and then we can get into specifically how do we love the Lord with all of our nephesh. Uh, what we actually see in Christ is what he does when he comes in as a, as a human being, he takes on, uh, he takes on human nature and we see that he has to not just leave spiritually, but he dies a physical death. He dies on the cross and what he actually pours out on the cross is all of his life. He, he actually spills his blood for us. And remember, the nephesh is in the blood. And so what we see him doing, he's, he's literally pouring out his nephesh. And so in order to redeem our nephesh, he has to pour out his nephesh. So we are literally saved through the blood because the nephesh is in the blood. And even when he institutes communion, which we just did, he says, this is my body and this is my blood. And so there's this connection between the soul and the body and how both were required for us to be redeemed. So when we take in his body, when we take in his blood, what we are doing is, is we're accepting his nephesh in place of our nephesh, his life in place of our life, that we have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, we no longer live, but it is Christ living in us. So the last, the last verse I want to share that just gives you a picture of this is Psalm 42, 12. Psalm 42, uh, I think I wrote down the, no, it's not 42, 12. Uh, someone help me out here. Where is, as the deer pants for the water? It's not 42. Oh. oh, here it is. It is 42, one, not, I'm sorry. It was supposed to be one and two, but I forgot to put the dash. Like, 42, <laughs> I know there's no, there is no verse 12. 42, one and two. It says, as the deer gotcha. pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. When can I go and meet with God? And this is so powerful because this is the first transition that we see into what it means to love God with your nephesh. 
there's, there's a poetic imagery here that says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so the throat is dry, and he's mm. panting. So the nephesh, remember, meaning throat, he's using poetic imagery here wow. to say that he's longing for God, not just in a spiritual sense, but there's this physical, like he loves the Lord so much that he's aching for the Lord with his physical body. And then he says, my soul thirsts for you, the living God. And remember, the word there is not soul, it's nephesh. So it's my nephesh thirsts for you. So when we love the Lord our God, it's not just the spiritual exercise. It's something that with all of our being, that we long for the Lord and we feel this inner groaning to want to be with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 6, 610. 6, Thank you. Oh, the souls under the altar. Thank you. Revelation 610. And just what Trish said, it was just one of those things. I remember when Trish and I were, um, we were led to, to do the 40-day fast of water only, and we were researching what is hunger going to be and everything else. And the, they talked about how the true hunger, like that point of hunger, it's not what you feel in your stomach. You actually feel in your throat. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that pain. It's the the yearning, I think that when we look at that Psalm 42, I think that's what it kind of looks like. It's this, the, this physical, truly physical pain in your throat where you just yearn for that food. You just yearn for that, yearn for that air. And for us, it's that yearning to be with God and his, his spirit and his love and his nephesh to, to come upon us. So that, that is a wonderful thing. I, I think we can add here, but we'll... No, it was good. Good word. Good That's word. Good. <laughs> good word. So we we want to make it. Uh, of course, we want to break this down a little bit more. There there was a lot already there, so we're gonna break this down a little bit more. We're gonna just spend a couple of verses on one, a couple of one or two. Well, five points. Six. You added the sixth one. No, I didn't. Uh, <laughs> so when we looked about this nephesh and about being a person, as as a as a teacher, when we teach about somebody's person and somebody's health and whole being we don't just talk about physical part of them there's so much more to us than just physical like when we talk about health they're like well how's your physical health now it's been a little bit better now we talk about mental health but there's so much more there's also emotional health there's also social health there there's and of course we have the spiritual health also even for those out there who don't have faith Christianity, Judaism, whatever it is, they still need to have the desire for that, not them. You know, you need that. Even atheists, they, that's their mm-hmm. spiritual thing. That's you know, so it's, it's, one of, it's one of those things. They seek nothing, and they're <laughs> going to go to nothing. Anyways. Um, so, so what we're going to look at today, as we talk about worshiping or loving God with your nephesh, with your whole being, we're going to break down those five things. We're going to talk about the, the, the parts of us that are spiritual, mental, physical, social, and emotional. emotional. All right, so we're going to break this down and how that looks like for us um, to love God in, the, in those aspects of who we are, those aspects of nephesh. So the first thing that we're going to get into is the spiritual part. I think as we, as we look about loving God and spiritual, it's, it's, it's quite, um, quite simple to, to see. There's many verses of us, how we should connect to God spiritually, how we should love God spiritually. And I just want to share two verses really quick um, that can kind of guide us through it. First one is out of Psalm 103. 
And it's this just wonderful connection. It says, praise the Lord, O my nephesh, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Psalm 103, 1. It's this amazing connection, again, that our nephesh is praising God with our, our innermost being, with our, everything that we are. It's this praise. It's the spiritual connection. Um, and then the other one that I want to look into is Romans chapter 8, 26 and 27. Again, it's the spiritual connection between God and us that, that is really important. For me, the, this verse means a lot to me because there's been so many times when I come before the Lord and I have nothing. It says in Romans 8, 26 and 27, it says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but it's the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes with the saints in accordance with God's will. So we have this spiritual connection. And again, I just love this because there's so many times where I had no words to come before God. I did not know how to love him. I did not know what to pray for. I didn't know how, what to ask for. And thankfully, thank God that he put the Spirit in me that I can connect with God on the spiritual part and it has nothing to do with me. It's just spirit and spirit alone. So we have this connection where we finally surrender ourselves and to be like, God, I got nothing else to say. Let your spirit guide, guide me into this connection with you. And in that way, we're truly loving God with just, I have no words. I, I don't. And that's when it says right here, he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit. He knows what's in our hearts. And when I read Psalms 139, he says he knows every word before it even comes out of your mouth. It's this wonderful spiritual connection that he that we have with God that gives him honor and glory. And we love him through that. I can read them, but you want to share about this. So the next thing is that we, we love God with all of our mind, with all of our mental capacity. So it says in John uh, chapter five. 5, verse 39 and 40, um, God, Jesus actually kind of calls out the, the teachers of the law on this. He says, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So what you actually see here is that the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law believed that, the, that worshiping God was completely an intellectual pursuit, that it was something that we just did with our minds. And in a lot of ways, we're guilty of this as well. We may know that it's a spiritual exercise, but we, we contain a lot of our faith and a lot of our theology. It's all in our head. It's like you have to believe the right thing. You have to be thinking the right thing. We know there's a battle in the mind. And so we kind of compart- we, we put ourselves into these boxes and we only, we, one of the things that we actually do is we do give God our mind. We do give God our mental capacity, but then we kind of have him stay there and we don't necessarily engage in these other areas. And so it's, it's not wrong. We're actually supposed to uh, love God with all of our mind, but we can't only love him as an intellectual pursuit. So the, the other verse about this is 1 Corinthians 8.1. First, are you sure? First Corinthians, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. It says, I don't know, I'm, I'm off today. This is... Now, about food sacrifice to idols, uh, we know that we all possess knowledge. 
And this is what it says. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Mm -hmm. So what we, where we have to be careful here is that we should pursue knowledge of God. We should love him with all of our mind. But the goal is, is that we love him, that it's not just this, that we think about God, that we just theologically debate and that we know all these things and we can fight with somebody and we can prove our faith. That's not what it means to love God with all of your, with all of your mind. Uh, and the last thing about loving God with our, all of our mind is we see in Romans 12, 1 and 2, and this is actually a really good verse because it, it actually covers multiple areas. It says, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, so this is the physical, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual, so we're talking about the spirit, act of worship. Mm -hmm. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So we are specifically commanded to love God by renewing our mind because our minds have, have been taken captive. Our minds are prone to sin. Our minds are prone to wander. And so we have to intentionally, the way that we love the Lord God with all of our mind is that we actively renew our mind by being exposed to his word, by spending time in his presence, um, by thinking about whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, that we're supposed to think about those things. Exactly. Um, so, and then with social par part of, of, our, of our being, when we look at the social part of our being, we want to find our places that when we're socially gathered, that God is there. That when, wherever we go, there's a point to this. We love God when we prior prioritize him and even our social life. So one, one verse is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Hebrews verse 10, verse 25, it says, Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habits of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So people, we, we kind of, it's sadly we're getting, because of internet and everything else, we're kind of starting to uh, become more one-on-one -on -one with God, which is a great thing, but he also wants to bring you together as one in the body of Christ through churches, through just social encounters where God is present, where God is talked about, where God is honored. He wants to do that. So, and when you look at the church, the, the first church in Acts 2.42, you see that when they come together, they pray for each other, they break bread, they, um, they study the apostles' teachings, they pray for each other. There's this concept that there's something about God is in there. there there's a honoring God through, the, through, that, through that. Even what you're doing, if it's honoring God and not dishonoring him because you shouldn't be at a place where you're, you're at or whatever it is, that brings joy, that brings honor to God in that way. Hey, Eileen. Hey, Eileen. Amen. You made it. And then the, the, next, the next part... The next verse is Psalm 84.10. So Psalm 84.10, it kind of gives us even uh, more, more thing. And I love the song that we sang, um, one of the last songs that we sang that kind of gave us this whole thing being face-to-face -face with God. That when we're social, it's, again, it's good to be um, socially. It's good to be with others of other believers, but this, this verse reminds us of this important part about what, what is always should be on our mind. It's, it says, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. 
I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. Mm-hmm. And what, what spoke to me is that there's a lot of cool, fun stuff that could be done. But when we do the, do the things that God is involved in, it should renew our hearts. It should renew our spirit. And it should um, lead us into, into those times of, of bringing glory and honor to God and loving him to that. I really, truly believe that, that when we choose him before anything else, uh, we truly show him love in that matter. Yes, and also just think of it on a practical level, and this may seem common sense. When you love someone, like a spouse or a friend, you need to spend time with them, right? So there's this social piece that you can't just say you love someone, but then you never have time for them, right? So if we, if we love God with all of our social needs, with all of our social being, you're going to spend time with him. You're going to spend time in his word. You're going to spend time in worship. You're going to spend time in prayer. But also one of the things that we need to be challenged is even just spending time in silence, a lot of times when we pray, we talk to God and we pour out our hearts to God. And God is like, well, I have something to say, but you're, you've are you kind of moved on. So we need to just spend some time, you know, being social with us, sitting out in nature, going for a walk, um, just sitting in the quiet of your room in a comfortable space and listening for what God has to say. So if we're not doing that, then we're not cultivating that social component. And God wants us to love him with all of that as well. Again, not just a spiritual pursuit, not just a, a mental pursuit with our minds, but he wants us to be social. He wants a personal relationship with us. He wants us to know him and he wants us to be known by him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he already knows us better than we know ourselves. So we need to spend time with him so that he can even show us who we are in Christ. Um, the next thing we're going to, and this is going to, we're going to spend a little bit more time here than we did on some of the other ones. Again, because I believe this needs to be redeemed with, again, the thought of Greek philosophy. This next one mm-hmm. is loving God with all of our physical being, with all of our physical nature. So, you know, again, Greek Greek philosophy has separated the soul and the idea of the body and talking about the flesh and how flesh is evil and um, the soul is what is good and lives on. And, and that is not biblical theology. Even in the New Testament, the word that we translate as soul is suke, um, which comes from like the idea of almost like the psyche, where it's more than just uh, some nebulous, ghostly part of who you are. It actually is the word would best be translated as being. So it's not only in the Old Testament, but the New Testament as well does not have in the Greek, there's no word-for-word translation between what we translate as soul um, and what nefesh or suke would actually mean. Mm-hmm. So um, these things combine not just the the uh, nebulous part of who you are that goes on to live with the Lord, but it also encapsulates your physical being as well. Uh, and one of the one of the 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 downside of this is that the New Testament specifically talks about. Um, the body, and then it talks about the flesh. And we have very often kind of taken on that, that Greek philosophy language, and we have thought, therefore, that the body is somehow evil. The body is sinful. The body is fallen. And we'll even say, like, oh, I was in the flesh, right? And what we mean is that we were in our physical body and our physical self, and we were acting, and the flesh is sinful nature. And throughout the New Testament, um, the word sarx, which means flesh, is associated with sinful nature. But the body is completely different. It's a completely different word. It, the word in Greek is soma. 
And the, the word body in scripture is not something that's necessarily fallen and evil. It is subject to the curse, meaning that the effects are there, that we suffer sickness, we suffer death. You know, our sinful nature pervades all of who we are and all of it needs redemption. But the body actually, if we read in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, um, and we know this, but we just want to specifically highlight this. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you've received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. So our physical being, our physical body is actually a tool and an instrument. It is a gift that God has given you to love him and worship him. Um, And Romans 6, 12 and 13 continues this. It says, therefore, do not let sin Reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. So we are meant to use our body in a way that glorifies God as an instrument of service to him, as an instrument of loving him. And we're, we're not meant to abandon or abuse our body or neglect our body. We're meant to care for it, seeing it as a gift of God. And Psalm 139, uh, verse 13 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Uh, verse 14 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. And what he's talking about here is the fact that God knit you together in your mother's womb. He knit your physical body together. It is something that God has knit together with careful thought, careful creation. He gave you uh, the, the physical characteristics that you have, um, all of your physical being for good or for bad, whether you like it or you don't like what you see in the mirror. God designed you to be made in his image, to be made in his likeness. Uh, so 2 Corinthians 5, 6 says this about the, the body. Uh, so this is what we, what we see that even the physical body, however, subject to the curse, um, needs to be redeemed. And it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 6, Therefore we are always confident and know, as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. Mm-hmm. So even though we are not completely fulfilled and redeemed until our physical bodies are resurrected, we know that after death, we do have the promise that we will immediately be with the Lord. And even though it won't be in a complete and finished state, we, you know, we can be thankful for the fact that we are ready. It's not like we're, you know, the, the Old Testament theology, the Old Testament belief was that your, your soul could not survive without your body. Again, because there was only one word, which was nephesh, and they were intertwined. So their belief was actually that when you died, they didn't really know what happened to you. They thought that you just went down to the grave and you didn't necessarily continue or exist. But we see through the teachings of Jesus that he, his death and resurrection was so important because it proved the fact that you, you lived on, that we became immortal, that God allowed us to have eternal life. And that was something that was foreign to them at that time. Yeah, and Romans eight twenty three twenty four talks keeps on talking about that. Uh, and starting in Romans eight twenty three, it says, "Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. 
but hope that is seen is no hope at all who hopes for what he already has so it's again we talk we talk about because because of the spirit within us and because of the connection of us and the importance of our body our body will be redeemed exactly what trish was just talking about with a previous scripture is that we should not give up on our bodies our bodies are just as born our bodies is a tool to worship god to, to praise him in that way so whatever god has given us we use him we use it for him and like i like said it doesn't matter how it looks like it's it's still for him and we surrender to him so how do we love god how do we worship god with our bodies because again we don't necessarily we're not necessarily conscious of how to do that uh we, when we, in Psalm 139, we read that when, that God knows our rising up and our lying down. So even as we go about our day, even as we lay down and go to sleep, uh, loving God with our physical body means that we care for ourselves in those things. We don't overwork ourselves. We make sure we get adequate rest. Um, we, <laughs> we, we surrender ourselves in the morning. We surrender ourselves in the evening and everything that we do, whether we eat, drink or whatever we do, right? We do it for the glory of God. So being mindful of what we eat, being mindful of what we drink, being mindful of how we go about and care for our bodies. That's one way we love the Lord with our bodies. But it also means that in worship, you know, w- there may be some things that we don't even understand why we do what we do. But when we worship, we lift our hands. There's times when we're overwhelmed with awe and you fall to your knees. There's times when you're overwhelmed and you cry out to the Lord and you lay down prostrate and you're, um, you know, you're just calling out to him with those groanings that words cannot express. So you, ha- you have to not be afraid to engage in loving the Lord and worshiping him. This is a tool that he gave you. This is something, it's an instrument of righteousness. So you can express yourself. You don't have to just be firm and rigid. I think there's this idea sometimes that as Christians, we have to be, you know, somber and, you know, very self-controlled, but you can, you can dance, you can worship God with all of who you are. And the, the last way that we worship God's with, God with our body is that we serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Amen. Again, this is language that we use, but Christ is, has died and resurrected and he's at the right hand of the throne of God. But we are his agents here on earth and we have physical bodies with which we're supposed to love him and serve him by being his hands and feet in the world. We're the visible physical presence of God in this world. So mm-hmm. when people ask, where is God? They should see him through us as the church. Amen. Amen. Did you read Hebrews? Or oh, no, I did not. Um, I, in <laughs> Hebrews 11, 35, um, here's, this is another way that we can worship God with our bodies. It says that some were tortured and refused to be released so they might gain a better resurrection. So here's the, the wild part, is that if we are persecuted, if we suffer for Christ on this earth, um, through through whatever persecution we face, even if our bodies are damaged, even if through the suffering we have, you know, outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day. So our physical body may go through hell and back. Our physical body might face damage through the trials and tribulations of this life. But what we mean, what we can rejoice is that when we're resurrected and we get that resurrected body, we're going to have a better one. So you can rejoice whenever you suffer in your physical body because that means that your resurrected body is going to be that much better. Isn't that cool? Amen, amen. amen. See? Shoulder pain, back pain. You're good. You're good. So the last thing, and it, it kind of went with Church talking about, about using our body. For, for the glory of God is we need to understand why. 
and how he needs to do that. In First in, uh, Corinthians 13, verse 3, um, it says, if I, if I give all possession to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Mm-hmm. So please remember, as we go through the suffering, make sure you, the suffering comes with a cause. Don't just, woe is me, Mm-hmm. But God is not involved in any of those woes. Mm-hmm. You're put, sometimes Playing the martyr, literally. Yeah, yeah. We, sometimes we put ourselves in these positions of like of pain so. and suffering, and God never told you to do that. Mm-hmm. So now you're doing this out of bitterness instead of doing it out of love. Mm-hmm. So it's we need to really remember that and pull away from these things when we look talk about this loving God through our physical things. However, that looks like make sure that it comes with. God's love. Hmm. It's not just for our benefits or if it's not for our bitterness kind of deal. So we just we really wanted to kind of finish with that verse uh, as because those verses were really power, powerful describing giving it all to God, especially our physical hmm. bodies. But it's got to be because he called us to do it. He led us to do it. And he's gaining honor through it, not because of anything else. So the last part of ourselves, the last aspect of our being with which we can love the Lord, and this could probably be a whole sermon in of itself, but we won't. It's your emotional self. Mm. (laughs) Your emotional self. And I think that uh, a lot of times we're we're drawn to, uh, you know, on Sunday services, there's this hype music, the sermon is meant to make you cry and laugh and all these things, and we can get caught in emotionalism, Mm -hmm. um, and that's not necessarily loving God. That's emotionalism. That's loving your emotions. That's not necessarily loving God. That's, that would be being in the flesh. Not the body, but the flesh. <laughs> and so we're not talking about emotionalism, but we're also ta- not talking about suppressing your emotions, mm-hmm. not talking about pushing your emotions down or denying your emotions. We, we want to love God. The emotions that we have are a gift from him. Your mm-hmm. anger mm-hmm. allows you to have boundaries to know that people are stepping into a realm that they should not be entering. Mm-hmm. Your tears come when you're overwhelmed with grief or sorrow. And mm-hmm. these are things that we should feel free to express. We shouldn't feel that our emotions are bad or evil. And the testimony through scripture is that the people of God were engaged and they interacted with the Lord with all of their emotions. Psalm 35 uh, verse 9 says, Then my nephesh will rejoice in the Lord and delight in his salvation. So we come with this rejoicing. We come with our happiness. We come with all of our excitement. And we don't have to hold back. But we see on the flip side in 1 Samuel chapter 1, we see this powerful imagery of Hannah who is distraught because she's being uh, bullied more or less by her, her rival uh, because her husband had two wives. And the one wife is able to have children and Hannah, as we know, was barren. She was not able to have children. And she's so overwhelmed with grief by this, and there's a number of reasons for it, but she's so overwhelmed um, that she comes to the temple and she comes to the Lord and it says that she, she prayed with all of her nephesh. And it says here when she gets, she's praying so intensely, she's praying with all of she, uh, who she is, that it looked like she was drunk. That's how engaged she was in prayer, that the priest who saw her thought that she was drunk or out of her mind. So I don't know if you've ever prayed so hard and been so emotionally engaged with the Lord that someone, if someone had seen you, you he, they would have thought that you were out of your mind or that you were on something, something. And so she says... Uh, when he confronts her, how long will you keep getting drunk? 
She says, not so, my Lord. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. Troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my nefesh to the Lord. So there's this emotional component that you literally pour out your nefesh, all of who you are, all of your being, and you love the Lord with all of your nefesh, with all of your being. And you're not afraid to share those emotions and to tap into that emotional part of who you are. Yeah, and now we see this. Uh, when we were talking about it, I had to look at Jesus, especially at the at the garden. Well, I'm going to read through two two different scriptures in Matthew 26, mm-hmm. uh, verse 38. He's talking to to his uh, disciples. Says then he said to them, "My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Mm-hmm. Stay here and keep watch with me." So he has this emotion. That, that he just shares with them. And then you look at, and then in Luke 22, it's the same, it's the same, same place. We're still in the garden. I just really like what Luke included that. It, says, it starts at 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives and his disciples followed him. When reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about the stone throw beyond, knelt down and prayed. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling Mm -hmm. on the ground. And when I was reading those two things, I feel like there was so much. I feel like there's all five of those are included in there. There's the spiritual part about him going to God and says, not my will, but your will. There's this emotional part of anguish. There's this emotional part of just physical pain. There's all this part of socially being cast away because he's like, don't fall asleep on me. I'm going to be alone now. So you see all these parts of his nephesh that he's coming at the garden, knowing what's going to happen, that he's about to be betrayed. He's asking his father to take it away because he knows the cross is coming. So it's this powerful, you, I, re, I really love, you see the whole nephesh that Jesus sees us how, but again, it's all for God's glory. At the end of the day, he's loving God by going through this. He's like, I will love you even though I'm an outcast, but I'm before you. I will love you because I'm going to look for your will. I will love you even in my anguish. I will love you through my physical pain. I will love you in all, all, all who I am. And then he goes to the cross. And, and that, is, that is when, when we're, lo- we're looking to love God with our full nefesh, with all that we are, all being, that's what we look to. That's, that's what, again, when I was preparing, that, that, that's why I kind of saw that that's going to be, do we need to be at a place where our sweat turns into blood? No, but I love that, there, that God has sent his son to show us what this looks like. Truly, he also showed the same love when he rejoiced, when he healed and everything else, when he loved God by finding his will and doing what he needs to do with his body, with his emotions, with his tears before before the Jerusalem, with his um, anger when he was at the temple, through all through all those things. He has showed God's love. So just to finish off, we need to love the Lord with all of our nefesh, which means we love him with all of our being. 
We love him with our spirit. We love him with our soul. We love him with our mind. We love him with our physical body and all of who we are, our emotions. All of these things need to be engaged in our relationship because that's how God created us to be. He didn't create us in parts. He created us as a whole. Mm. And Psalm 84 verse 2 says, My nephesh yearns, even faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. So we don't, we're not fully loving the Lord unless we feel this longing to be with him. And again, not just, we know his spirit lives with us. We know his presence is with us always. But there should be a longing that we have to be physically in his presence, to be completely you know, at, at his feet or wrapped in his loving arms. And we should not be content to be at home in the world and to be operating in the physical when we want to be completely reunited with God. And I have this imagery from a book that we don't use very often. It's not often preached from, but the Song of Songs, song sometimes known as the Song of Solomon. There's this imagery, and, and we'll finish with this, in chapter 3 uh, of the, the beloved woman looking for her lover. And it says, all night long on my bed, I looked for the one my heart loves. I searched for him, but did not find him. I got up and went about the city through its streets and squares. I will search for the one my heart loves. So I looked for him, but did not find him. And the, the word here for heart, again, sadly, once again, is nephesh. So this is the one her nephesh loves. This is the one she's looking for the one her nephesh loves. And she loves him with all of her nephesh. And so she can't sleep because she's tossing and turning and thinking about the one that her nephesh loves. It actually gets her out of bed and she leaves her house and she goes searching for the one that her nephesh loves. And she won't relent until she finds him. And this is what we need to do. We will seek the Lord and we will find him if we seek him with all of our nephesh. And that's what God designed us to do. That hopefully you, you wake up in the middle of the night and you're thinking of the Lord and of his goodness. Hopefully you get up in the morning and you search him in your prayer closet and you seek him in your workplace and you seek him in your relationships uh, because you love him with all of your nephesh. Yeah. Just don't separate yourself from God. Don't just say, of course, spiritually, I'm going to seek the word. I'm going to look into the Bible. I'm going to sing my worship songs. And spiritually, I'm going to connect to God. But physically, it's my thing. No, if, if, you're, if you're eating healthy, it's, it's so God can keep your body healthy. If you're going to exercise or you're going to go to a doctor and take care of yourself, so that way you'll be able to serve him longer and better. If you're going to socialize with people, let's find times where we can honor God in that way. If, if my emotions are true, even it's my, if it's anger, if, if it's uh, happiness or if it's joy, it's, it's for the Lord. Let's not just take it away because sometimes it's like, all right, I'll be in the word here and I'll study my scriptures, but I'm also going to be not going to able to connect it to the intellectual part of the of the world. Like I, I really loved in college when, when my friends were uh, doing biology, they were going to be doctors. And I was like, how are you connecting? You're, you're a Christian, but you're looking at all these scientific stuff. He's like, I'm just seeing God even more in there. So as we're looking at the, at the world and how advanced it's becoming, we shouldn't separate who God is from that. No, it's God's creations that we get to get amazed. So again, all of those five things, all of the parts, everything should be given to God to serve him and to love him through in all we are, the nephesh. That's the word uh, that we want you guys to walk away with today. Amen. 
Thank you for spending time with us during this episode. We pray that this teaching blessed you and brought you closer to understanding God. If you'd like to contact us, please email us at corechurch242 at gmail.com. Until next time, know you are loved and covered in prayer.